From the Beantown Athletic Studio in Boston, this is the Danny Picard Show, Friday, April 7th, 2017. Today's show presented by Beantown Athletics, your number one source for screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now to get a free quote for your customized apparel. Today's show is also presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com with my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. And as day one of the Masters is in the books and day two of the Masters is actually underway, uh, just began as I'm recording this podcast on Friday, April 7th, I want to say thanks to everybody who joined uh, Masters contest on DraftKings, on DraftKings.com and on the DraftKings app. Uh, we only had 20 people, but it filled up in less than 24 hours. We told you about it on Monday's podcast. In less than 24 hours, we had 20 people signed up, 20 bucks ahead, winner takes all. And while I thank you for joining the contest, I should also apologize for being in first place after day one. That's right. I am in first place currently, even as day two is underway. Uh, But I got good news for you. If you're not in the money or you don't think you're going to be in the money for your original DraftKings lineup. Now, again, for the golf tournaments, you pick six golfers. And, you know, after day one, you might know whether or not you got guys who are going to miss the cut. And if you do have a couple guys who you think are going to miss the cut or you know are going to miss the cut or have a chance to miss the cut, then this good news for you is that DraftKings is a brand new feature called Weekend Golf. And with this Weekend Golf feature, you can now draft a new set of golfers for rounds three and four on Saturday and Sunday of every golf tournament. Now, the contest begins at the start of round three, which is Saturday morning. So you got to have your Weekend Golf lineup picked by Friday night. Well, very early Saturday morning, but I would do it by Friday night. So if you're in a DraftKings pool for the Masters right now and you don't think you're going to finish in the money, or even if you do, maybe you want to win some extra money based on some of the top dogs uh, in the tournament after day one, you can put in a brand new lineup with the DraftKings feature called Weekend Golf against six golfers. Pick it before round three begins on Saturday And uh, one person that you probably won't be picking, just as we take a look at the Masters before I get into some Bruins and Celtics stuff uh, and everything else that's going on in the world of sports that has happened since Monday's podcast. I mean, you look at the Masters and the leaderboard right now, Charlie Hoffman in the lead as I read this right now at eight under on the tournament. And yeah, he's been back and forth, six under, seven under, eight under, I think back down to seven under. Um, But Hoffman's in the lead. Jordan Speeth is someone that if you do put in a weekend golf lineup, Speeth is not going to be in that, I don't think. Unless he has some sort of remarkable comeback today. Because Speeth had a quadruple bogey on the 15th hole yesterday at Augusta National. And if you've been paying attention to Jordan Speeth's career, especially at the Masters, you know that last year he had a complete meltdown. A complete meltdown. And... It happened on the back nine, and and so I wonder, is this in his head? Like, if I'm Jordan Spieth, I need to do everything I can just to try to make the cut. But Spieth begins round two, three over on the tournament. It's not looking good. He shot a nine, a quadruple bogey nine on a pop five 15 yesterday on the 15th hole. So for Spieth, it's looking like maybe Augusta National is now in his head. How much of a problem can that become? Well, 
I, I'd like to think that it can become a pretty big problem if you let this linger much longer. Now, if you don't make the cut and you have a bad day today, then you got to wait around for an entire year just to get another shot at Augusta National. And I can only imagine how the pressure would build if you are Jordan Spieth and you do not make this cut. And you have to think about that quadruple bogey on 15 in round one a year after you completely collapse at the Masters. So uh, the Masters is taking shape. Now, the news before the tournament began was that Dustin Johnson fell down a flight of stairs on Wednesday, and he was questionable, then he was probable, then he was out at the range, you know, with the pitching wedge, not taking full swings, but, you know, taking enough swings to the point where I thought Dustin Johnson, the world's number one ranked golfer going into this tournament, I thought for sure if he's out there taking any type of hack whatsoever, he's going to at least begin this tournament. Maybe he withdraws after round one because the back injury that he suffered falling down the stairs is just too much to handle. I don't know. But it looked like when he's out at the range yesterday, he was going to begin the tournament. He gets up to the first tee and he withdraws. He doesn't even, you know, he doesn't even begin the tournament. So Dustin Johnson drops out before he even begins. He, he walks off at the first tee, just wasn't feeling too good. I don't know. This story just seems a little too shady for me. Like, I, feel, I just feel like we're missing something with the Dustin Johnson back injury, falling down a flight, flight of stairs. I don't know. I just feel like there's a missing piece to this, and maybe there is. Bottom line is this. Dustin Johnson's not playing. Uh, Hoffman is your leader. Jordan Spieth with a complete collapse. When I look at the odds to win, the live odds to win the Masters, there was one point last night when the tournament was over. And if you listen to me last night, Thursday night on WEEI, then you heard me say this. There was one point where after day one at the Masters, McElroy was the favorite to win it. In fact, as I look at the live odds right now, McElroy is the favorite to, to win the tournament. Then you got Sergio Garcia. Then you got Charlie Hoffman. And that's strange to me because as I look at the leaderboard, um, I look at Rory McIlroy, and he is one under. You know, he's five or six strokes off the lead, yet he's the favorite to have this comeback and win the tournament. Now, Sergio Garcia, as I read it in second place at three under. I just so happen to have Sergio Garcia and McIlroy in my DraftKings pool. That's why I'm in first place. Uh, I actually dropped Dustin Johnson the minute I heard he had a back injury. I dropped him. I wasn't going to deal with that. I wasn't going to deal with that bullshit. I wasn't going to deal with the possibility that maybe he did back out. And so I got that one right. But if you look at the live odds to win the Masters as day two has begun, McElroy, who is about five or six shots off the lead, is actually the favorite right now to win it all, to win the whole thing. And he was my prediction to win the whole thing as well. So... Uh, I'll actually be rooting for McElroy. He's won every major except the Masters, so that could be a special moment. Could set us up for a special Sunday at Augusta National. But uh, whatever does happen on Sunday at Augusta National at the Masters, I'll react to it on Monday's podcast. But that's just a little update as to what has gone on, at least through the first day and into day two. I apologize for not having a podcast yesterday. You know how we do this, Mondays and Thursdays. Usually, that's the schedule. Uh, Special situations can change that schedule. I was called into WEI 
for last night. That changes my schedule a little bit with some things that I had to do. So here I am on this Friday uh, late morning, early afternoon, giving you the second podcast of the week. And it just so happens to be National Beer Day, which is fitting because World War Three began last night, right? So drink up. <laughs> National Beer Day is today. Also today, uh, the Stanley Cup is in Boston. Now, I'm going to get into some Bruins stuff because I have an update on Tory Krug, who last night in a loss to the Ottawa Senators, a shootout loss to the Senators at the TD Garden, Krug left the game in the first period with a lower body injury. He was seen, this is coming from Joe Haggerty, Comcast Sportsnet. He said Tory Krug left the garden last night during the game on crutches. And, you know, it's looking like a knee injury. I have an update based on some things that I've heard uh, with, you know, some sources, if you want to call it that, on the Tory Krug injury. I'll give that update in just a minute. But... You know, as we look at the Stanley Cup playoffs about to begin, the NBA playoffs about to begin, we're looking at the Bruins and the Celtics. They're both going to be in the playoffs. What seed are they going to be? We don't know officially just yet, at least with the Bruins. You know, that's in limbo. They have their last game tomorrow on Saturday against the Washington Capitals. But then you got Toronto and Ottawa who have two games left each. So the Bruins, hey, you know, take care of your own business, but you also need some help now that you weren't able to win this one last night against Ottawa. But with the playoffs about to begin and, you know, you'll see the promotional stuff from both teams, I'm seeing that the Stanley Cup is in Boston today, which if you follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard, I tweeted out earlier, get that fucking thing out of here. Like, I don't want the Stanley Cup making its rounds in Boston. Like, I think it was at Comcast Sportsnet and one of the 98.5 The Sports Hub, I think it was at today. It's going to go to, where's it going? To Faneuil Hall later? It's going to Boston Common? What, what are we doing? What are we doing with the Stanley Cup today? Isn't that, isn't that a jinx? Like, where's the Stanley Cup going next? Is it really making its rounds to every city? And are people really going to go see it? I under- Look, nope. Hey, nobody, if you've listened to me or, or follow me at all on social media, you know, nobody loves the Stanley Cup more than me. There isn't one person on the face of this earth. There isn't one person in the NHL who has a chance to win it, who's actually won it. There isn't anybody on the face of this earth that loves the Stanley Cup more than I do. So. I believe my opinion on this matter does actually matter. The Bruins are going to the playoffs. If they can get a decent first-round matchup by not being a wild-card team, which is, you know, it's look, it's still possible. You beat Washington, you know, you get some help. Who knows? You could still be the three-seed. You could play Ottawa or you could play Toronto. You know what? The Bruins can win that series. They can win that series, even with the Tory Krug injury, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But you can win that series. And if you get that seeding and you win that series, it sets you up for a second round, seven game playoff series against, I'm going to put my money on the Montreal Canadiens winning their first round series and that second round being against Montreal. And if you're in the second round, you're playing some pretty good hockey. All right. Means your commitment to team defense is what it's looked like you know, the last six, seven games of the regular season here. And you're playing some good defensive hockey. And your goaltender is coming up with the big, timely stops. Tuka Rask could be playing great. 
And I would actually give the Bruins a chance to, to be involved in a competitive series with the team that, you know, at that point, I, I think you have a shot. And if you have a shot there, you get to the East, you could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Look, here's my point, is that we know how the Stanley Cup Finals work, right? We know that if you're in the tournament, more than any other sport, you have a shot. If you can ride a hot goaltender and play some pretty good defense, you have a shot to, to do something pretty special. You do. Now, am I going to predict the Bruins win the Stanley Cup? No. But still, I'm not going to root against them. Obviously, you know how I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for them to do it. So I don't want to see the Stanley Cup being brought around the city of Boston before the playoffs even begin a day after the Bruins blow a game against the Ottawa Senators. All right? I don't want to see that. But that's what, that's what they're doing today, the Stanley Cup. It's being taken around Boston. I just, I, I don't, I, I don't want that. And look, nobody loves the Stanley Cup more than me, like I told you. And I know you're laughing. You're saying, well, you're knocking that, Danny. What if they knocked on the door right now and brought the Stanley Cup in studio? What would you do? And you probably think that I would take that thing and hoist it over my fucking head. Well, guess what? Guess what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I, I know you're laughing. I w- no, I would not do it. I wouldn't touch it. I'd say, get that thing out of here. Get it out. I want that thing so far away from this city, it's not even funny. Get it out of here. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't look at it. I wouldn't hoist it if they gave me an opportunity. And nobody loves the cup more than me. But I am also the most superstitious person that you know. Even if you don't really know me and just listen to me. Y'all hearing me say it? I'm telling the truth. I'm the most superstitious person in the world. And I love the Stanley Cup more than anybody else in the world. So... Before the playoffs even begin, I don't want to see that trophy anywhere near this city, yet it's being taken around. And if they did take it here, I'm not lying. I would tell them to screw. I wouldn't want that cup in this building here at Beantown Athletics. I wouldn't. And would I be be ruining a good time for some other people who aren't as superstitious as me, who don't care about uh, the, the Bruins' playoff hopes? Yeah, I might be ruining their time. But it's, you know, I don't care. I don't want that thing in this building. So I would reject that. Much like I, I've told you before, I would reject the LeVar Ball interview if it ever fell into my lap, right? And LeVar Ball's in the news again. What's he? He's blaming UCLA's uh, NCAA tournament loss on the slow white kids on the team. <laughs> like, why, why are we even listening to LeVar Ball still? Why are we interviewing him? Why are we listening to him? And then why are we taking the stupid things that he says and running with it and making a headline out of it? Why are we doing it? And, I, you know, Pete, my producer, who's not with me again today, uh, he said, the last time I-, I told you I would reject the LeVar Ball interview, he said, no, you wouldn't. You'd take that in a second because it would get you headlines. And I said, no, I wouldn't. I'd throw you my phone and I'd tell you to hit live video record and you could live video me rejecting LeVar Ball and kicking him out of the studio. I'd do the same thing with that Stanley Cup running around today. I would. I'd, I'd reject these things. Okay? Because they're both stupid. And speaking of LeVar Ball, I'm not going to make him a big story on this podcast today, but I told you he's in the news with that comment. Now, you know, his, his son Lonzo Ball, who's going to be a, one of the top picks in this coming NBA draft, he said yesterday, I think on ESPN, I read the headline this morning, that... He'd rather not go number one overall if it meant playing for the Lakers. So if he had a choice, like if the Lakers don't have the number one overall pick, if they don't get it in the lottery, and he had the choice, go number one overall to another team or not go number one overall and go to the Lakers, 
he would choose to not go number one overall and go play for the Lakers. <laughs> We've already kind of heard this sentiment from LeVar Ball, and I told you that this was stupid and this was maybe playing up to be uh, the Eli Manning, Archie Manning situation where he didn't want to go to San Diego and he ends up in New York with the Giants and his father sort of controls his destiny on draft night. You know, his father seems to be controlling a lot, but I guess if the kid feels the same way, then, uh, you know, doesn't that make you think if you're a team like the Celtics or if maybe you're one of these other teams that gets lucky and gets the number one overall pick after the lottery, right? So if the kid feels the same way as the father, maybe that's an even bigger issue. It's one thing if the father's running around saying all this stuff. Then if the kid's feeling the same way, just making ridiculous comments before he's even in the NBA? My goodness, get these fucking guys out of the way. I don't want to talk about them. Like, stop making, I don't even want to, I don't want people making what they say headlines right now. Because it's all just stupid. But yet, everyone's going to do it. And I tell you right now, if they came in here wanting an interview, I'd reject it. I'd say no. I would, I would, I would honestly stand my ground on that. Much like I would stand my ground on if they try to bring the Stanley Cup in here today, I will say, get the fuck out of here. All right? That guy with the white gloves and the cup, I tell him to screw. Tell him to screw. Because the Stanley Cup playoffs are going to begin next week, and the Bruins are going to be in it. What's their seed going to be? I have no idea. Last night, the Bruins lose a game to the Ottawa Senators that they needed to win if they are trying to do this their way, which is handle your own business. As I said, you're at home. You get a one nothing lead. Drew Stafford scores the goal in the first period. Then Alex Burrows tied the game at one. You can't win it in regulation which you also wanted to do. You go to overtime, nothing there. You go to a shootout. And I was actually live on the radio. It was the last couple minutes of my show last night while this was was going about. Now, I'm probably not supposed to do, like, the play-by-play on WEI for the Bruins game <laughs> because it's the other station that does the play-by-play, but we kind of did it anyways. And it shocked me that Bruce Cassidy, Bruins interim head coach, would come up with the shootout lineup that he did, given the situation the team's in. Like, all right, must win if you don't want to play the Washington Capitals in the first round. Because if you get a wild card spot, you're going to be playing the Capitals. So you want to win this. you got to win this. Let's go. All right, you wanted to win in regulation, you couldn't do that. Couldn't do it in a shootout. Excuse me, couldn't do it in overtime. Do it in a shootout. So Drew Stafford's going to be the first guy that you put in the shootout? What are we doing? Like, are people as mad about that as I am? Drew Stafford. Then you go with Ryan Spooner. I, okay, what, how does that make sense? Then you go with Pasternak. All right, I wanted Pasternak to get a shot. But you can't tell me it's a good idea for the Bruins last night in a must-win game, right, that could help control their own destiny with regards to their playoff matchup. Don't worry about what other teams are doing. Don't worry about what you're going to do. You got a chance to win that game last night. You're in a shootout at home. You know what you should be doing? You should be having Patrice Bergeron in that shootout. You cannot tell me it's a good idea to go through that shootout without Patrice Bergeron getting a shot. That's insane. How stupid is that? You go with Drew Stafford and Ryan Spooner to begin it? Look, the Bruins didn't have Brad Marchand last night. And if you've been paying attention to the bees, you know why. He was suspended. Two-game suspension by the league. Took that stick. You know, hit the guy for Tampa Bay right in the nuts the other night. Comes up hard with that stick. He knew what he was doing. 
He knew the force he was using. He's a repeat offender with regards to just dirty plays in general to the lower body. Um, and I think the league handled it the right way. League, the league let him get away with one not too long ago, if you can remember, with his, the little leg check or the foot, whatever he did. They let him get away with that one. I was shocked they let him get away with it, considering he's a repeat offender. But in, with this one, they break it down for you. The Bruins got two regular, well, at least going into last night's game, they had two regular season games left. They have one now. But they suspend Marchand for two games, so he missed last night's game. He'll miss Saturday's regular season finale against Washington. The Bruins can obviously use him. He's a leading goal scorer. He's a legit MVP candidate in the National Hockey League this year. And um, what he did the other night against Tampa Bay was just pure stupidity. All right? And, and, and the league made him pay for it. Said, suspended two games. I thought the suspension was about right based on what he did, how he did it, and what he's done in the past. Okay? I thought it was a good suspension. If you're looking at it from an NHL perspective and what the league does when it comes... I know people say, well, you don't usually punish for this, for, for a stick to the groin. I think when you look at this over and over again, it becomes worse and worse as I see it because I just feel like the force that he uses with the stick is worse and worse as I see it. And obviously the intent is there, and you combine that with the fact that they just let him slide on something not too long ago. And also, he's done so much, stirred up so much shit in his NHL career that he's, a, he's considered a repeat offender, and I'm sorry, this is a good punishment by the league. Regardless of how you feel about previous punishments or lack thereof for a situation with a stick to the nuts, forget about that, Okay. This is about Moshan, this is about that moment, and this is about, you know, the punishment, the two-game suspension, which I think was a good one. But the Bruins miss him. Still, you would think the Bruins should have won that game last night without Moshan. And when you have a shootout, and you don't go with Bergeron, that is just a dumb shootout lineup to me. Like, you're going to lose a shootout to Ottawa last night at home, and you have Bergeron sitting on the bench going... Where's my shot? Like, how can you not give Bergeron a shot? There are a couple other guys I would have given a shot to before Stafford, even Spooner. I would have given Krejci a a shot. David Krejci, all right, known to be a playmaker. But if you followed Krejci's career this time of year, as we get into the playoffs, he is, he shows up for the playoffs. I don't know if Bruce Cassidy knows that. And last night was essentially a playoff game. Don't tell me it wasn't. So, I'd rather have Krejci Bergeron, Pasternak. Instead, you went Stafford, Spooner to begin, and you didn't let Bergeron or Krejci take a shot? That's insane. That is pure stupidity at its finest when it comes to shootout lineups. And because of that, guess what might happen now? The Bruins might end up with a wild card spot, which means they might end up playing Washington in the first round, which means that I'm not giving the Bruins a shot to win a cup because I'm not giving them a shot to win that series, which means that, hey, if that's where they end up, then I will be calling for the Stanley Cup to come into the studio and I'll take a picture with it and hoist it over my fucking head. All right? I will. Um, I mean, come on now. That shootout lineup was pathetic. So, I get it. You're missing bodies. You're missing Marshan. You're also missing Tory Krug. Tory Krug left the game last night in the first period with a lower body injury. And, uh, you know, he's on crutches. It's looking like a knee. Here's what I'll say about it. Here's an update, Tory Krug update. Tweet it. Use it in your stories. Do whatever you want with it. I'll tell you this. Here's my update on Tory Krug. 
Krug, this is not a day-to-day situation from what I'm hearing. This is, I'm being told this is not day-to-day. I, based on what I've been told, I can, I cannot expect him in the first round of the playoffs. Krug, I do not expect him to play in the first round of the playoffs. They will be looking at this as a recovery timetable of, all right, he might be able to play in the second round if, if they, if the Bruins do advance, right? He, Krug, here's what I'll tell you. Krug might be able to play in the second round of the playoffs, but I do not expect him in the first round because I'm being told this is not a day-to-day situation. This is worse than that. This is worse than a day-to-day injury. Um, And, uh, you know, he's going to miss some time. And when I say time, I mean I'm expecting him, based on what I've been told, to miss the first round of the playoffs. And if the Bruins get to the second round, you know, I think internally, even to to himself, Krug is going to be trying to play in that one. Look, he'll be trying to get up and play in the first round, but based on what I've been told, I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I've been told this is not a day-to-day situation. And um, he is he's not going to play in the first round. But they he has a chance to play if they make it to the second round. All right? That's what I'm telling you. So, do I have to... Should I have led that off with sources, say? Yeah, sources say. Here's what I got for you. Tory Krug... This is worse than a day-to-day injury. Um, he is not expected to play in the first round. And if they get to the second round, though, you know, they're going to reevaluate that thing. And we'll see if the knee is up to task to, to play in the second round. He'll be trying to play in the second round. So don't expect him in the first. We'll see if they get to the second round. Maybe he'll be available then. But this is worse than a day-to-day injury for Tory Krug. That said, now the Bruins have a question. What do they do with Charlie McAvoy? Do they bring Charlie McAvoy up from Providence? If they do, then they're going to use up a year of that contract. You know, they're going to use up a year of it the first year. I don't think that's a very wise decision. I don't. I honestly don't. Because I think what this does now, it, is op- it opens up a spot for Colin Miller. An obvious spot. You're like, if they're going to roll John Michael Lyles, then, you know, to me, you want Colin Miller getting the playoff time. Get McAvoy up next year. I, I would keep McAvoy down. You know, you're going to see the question. The Bruins said going into last night's game that they, they weren't going to bring McAvoy up. Does the Krug injury change it for the first round of the playoffs? Eh. It's, put it this way. In my opinion, it shouldn't. In my opinion, it shouldn't. Like, there's a reason you made that decision. I don't think you changed that decision based on an injury. In fact, I think if anything, the way you should look at this injury is say, you know what? It's a guaranteed spot now for Colin Miller in the playoffs. It is. It's a guaranteed spot. So, um, that's I, I don't I don't think that the Bruins are going to change the way they handle the McAvoy situation. I don't think McAvoy is going to be up. I think he's going to stay in Providence. I think that is going to remain the same even after this Tory Krug injury. But the Bruins they got some work to do, and they also need some help. They need some help from Toronto from Ottawa, who are playing teams that don't really... Uh, yeah, they might, be, they might be playing against playoff teams, but these are teams that don't have much to play for. A lot of stuff has been clinched. A lot of spots have been clinched. And the Bruins, they'd like to clinch one of those seeds in the Atlantic Division and not the wildcard spot, but we're going to have to wait and see how this thing certainly plays out. So the Bruins, keep an eye on them. Also, uh, the Celtics, when it comes to playoffs, right around the corner, Celtics are going to the playoffs. But they've lost a couple in a row now. They lost to Cleveland the other night, Wednesday night. Celtics got whooped in that game. Then they lost last night in Atlanta. 
Had a little comeback towards the end, showed a little fight, but it just wasn't enough uh, because the deficit was too big before that. So the Celtics fall out of the number one seed the last couple days. Now they're back in the two seed. It's looking like that's where they're going to be, the two seed. That's where it's looking like the Celtics are going to end up in the Eastern Conference. But And look, the Celtics can't, they can't get involved in, in, in what the other teams do based on what their seeding could be in the first, you know, and what their matchup could be in the first round. The Celtics can't get all wrapped up in who their opponent's going to be in the first round of the playoffs. They can't. They, they can't control that, so they shouldn't worry about it. Control you can control. The Celtics are the number two seed right now. But if me and you, you know, from outside the Celtics room, Celtics locker room, if we want to root for anything, here's what I'm going to tell you you should root for. The Raptors and Wizards currently are both sitting there at 48 and 31. They both have 48 wins. They're both tied for that third seed. Toronto right now gets the the nod if it began today. But we should be rooting for Washington. Because you in my opinion, Toronto's the more difficult potential second round matchup. And for that reason, you want Toronto to be in that four seed. Because if Toronto's the four seed, they'd have to play the number one seed in the second round if they win their first round series. That's just the way the NBA set brackets are. The winner of the one versus the eight plays the winner of the four versus the five. So you want Toronto, at least I do, in that four seed. So I'll be rooting for Washington the next couple games that they have. Um, They have three games left. They each have three games left, if my math is correct here. And I'll be rooting for the Wizards to get the three seed. Because that means Toronto would be the four seed and it would set you up for a Cleveland-Toronto second round series, which if the Celtics can get past the first round, which they should, it makes the Celtics' life a little bit easier. Not to say that it would be an easy series against Washington. It wouldn't be. It would be a fun series to watch based on the little rivalry that they've cooked up. But you'd rather play the Wizards than the Raptors in the second round, wouldn't you? And it's not me telling you, and I know we had some callers call in last night on WEI trying to say that, you know, that sounds like I'm scared of Toronto. I'm not telling you I'm scared of Toronto. All I'm doing is acknowledging what I think is a borderline fact, that the Raptors are a better basketball team and would be a more difficult basketball team to face in a playoff series than the Washington Wizards. I think that's that's a simple, logical thing to say because Toronto has more superstar power than Washington. And isn't that what this league is all about? Isn't it? You saw it the other night with LeBron at the Garden against the Celtics. That's why we always put Cleveland in the East Finals. That's why we, most of us always put them in the NBA Finals, which I'll do again. So it's, it's about superstar power. Toronto is more of that than Washington. I want Toronto to fall into that four seed so that they have to play Cleveland in the second round. Am I looking too far ahead? I know you're saying, Danny, the Celtics got to win one playoff series before you, never mind putting them in the second round, before you put them in the East Finals. And I asked a question last night on WEI, and I'll ask it again here today if you weren't able to listen. Um, with the Celtics and the Bruins both going to the playoffs, hey, it's, it's an exciting time of year. There's no question, especially when both teams are in. But the Celtics and the Bruins, if you look at the standings, are in different spots. Like the Celtics have 50 wins. They're one of the best teams in their conference. And I've been high on the Celtics all year long. I have praised the Celtics to the point where I have told you Isaiah Thomas is an MVP candidate. 
Because without Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics, they wouldn't be, never mind a playoff race, they'd be down there with Brooklyn and Philly for the worst teams in the league. That's what they'd be without Isaiah Thomas. The Celtics have 50 wins right now. They'd have 23 wins without Isaiah Thomas. That's how good he's been. That's how good he is. And with Isaiah Thomas, they have 50 wins. And I've praised them as a team that's a 50-win team. All right? They've sort of met our expectations in the Eastern Conference. Look, they're the number two seed. And the expectations because of that should be to at least win one round. And also, I think, win two. Two rounds. I'm sorry. That's that's my expectation for the Celtics. To win at least two rounds. I'm not going to pick them to beat Cleveland in the East Finals. But... I think they should win two rounds. You know, if you tell me that at some point, at any point in the month of April, you've held the number one seed in your conference, which the Celtics did as of as of Tuesday, as of Wednesday morning they did, all right? If you've held the number one seed in your conference at any point during the month of April, then there's no excuse here. You should win two playoff series. You should. So the Celtics... If they lose in the second round, to me, the season will not be a success based on the type of regular season that you had. I'm sorry, it won't be. So they're in a, but they're in a different spot, I think, based on expectations than the Bruins. The Bruins, they could be the wild card, a wild card team, the final wild card team, which means they're the last team to get in, which essentially means they're the eighth seed, right? And what will the expectations be for you then? Well, even if they get the two of the three seed in the division, the Bruins, and they're not a wild card team. You know, it's still not like we've been praising the Bruins all season long to the point where we thought they would be able to make a serious playoff run. At least, maybe I should just speak for myself, I haven't. I haven't been putting the Bruins on that pedestal like I've been putting the Celtics. But now that they're both in the tournament, as much as it, you know, as as different of a look as it has in the standings, the Celtics with 50 wins as a two seed. The Bruins just barely got in. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they end up a wild card team. When I asked this question, if the Bruins ended up getting to the conference final and playing Washington, like let's say the Bruins get the two of the three seed. They could beat Ottawa or Toronto. Let's say they could beat Montreal. Let's say that they got the, to the Eastern Conference Finals and they played the Washington Capitals, the number one team, not just in the East, but in the NHL. The Capitals won the President's Trophy the other day. Let's say the Bruins play the Capitals in the East Finals. And then let's say the Celtics advanced and played the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. As of right now, as we look at these two teams, who do you think has a better chance to win that Conference Finals series against the best team in that conference? Would it be the Celtics have the best chance to beat the Cavs or the Bruins have the better chance to beat the Capitals? I'm telling you right now, my answer to this question is the Bruins, at that point, would have a better chance to beat the Capitals than the Celtics would have to beat the Cavaliers. And you might say that contradicts the way you've talked about both of these teams all season long. Well, you know, if you don't want to get into details, then I guess you're right. But I think we have to get into details. And at least I'd like you to listen to my details when I make this argument. Because LeBron... I don't think he's going to lose to the Celtics as they're currently constituted in an Eastern Conference Finals. And I've been saying this since the trade deadline that the Celtics, because they didn't make, you know, any acquisition to get a superstar player, 
a superstar scorer, I think that's going to affect him in an Eastern Conference Finals. I've told you, I've looked ahead, I've foreshadowed, I said, I, I try to predict the future. I said, I'm telling you right now, when the Celtics get to the Eastern Conference Finals and play Cleveland, and they do not have enough firepower to match LeBron and Irvin, and, and, and Isaiah Thomas has a couple off nights, and we're not enjoying the way Al Horford's playing, we're going to be looking at Danny Ainge, at least I know I will be, and we'll be saying, you know what? They should have made some type of move at the deadline to help this team. They should have, because you never know what can happen if you get to that point. But the Celtics did it, and as currently constituted, they're just not going to beat the Cavaliers. I'm sorry, they're not. The Bruins, some of the improvements that they've made in the last couple of weeks, if you tell me they can win a couple of rounds of the playoffs and then play Washington in the Eastern Conference Finals, look, I know how it's gone between the Bruins and the Capitals. I know that history would not be on the Bruins' side in a series with Washington and Holpe. But also, you could look at it this way. You know, the Bruins, if they get to that point, they'll be playing some pretty good hockey and, and probably riding a pretty hot goaltender. For the Capitals, you could say the same thing. But it's not like you'd be sitting there at that point putting all your money on Washington because if you are going to look into history, what have the Capitals done in the postseason? They've done shit. They've shit the bed. So if you're asking me to compare those two potential series, and again, I'm not necessarily predicting that that's where they go, at least the Bruins, but let's say it happens. Let's say it happens. Hypothetically, if the Celtics are playing the Cavaliers in the East Finals and the Bruins were playing the Capitals in the East Finals, who has the better chance to win that series? The Celtics or the Bruins? Based on the way it looks right now, if you want to go into the dirty details of it all, I say the Bruins have a better chance than the Celtics do. I do. That's the way I feel. So, um, and that's even, you know, look, the Krug injury, we'll see what happens. But I, I, I just, that's the way that the Stanley Cup playoffs work and the way the NBA playoffs work. The superstar talent's going to win out. And I don't know how you could bet against LeBron James. I really don't. As high as I've been on the Celtics, as much as I love Isaiah Thomas, I really did feel like they needed to add a piece at the trade deadline. And you could see some things, at least with the second unit and the guys coming off the bench in recent games, even defensively. Olenek, Jerebko, Rosia. I'm sorry. It's tough to watch. It's tough to watch. Not Marcus Smart. In fact, I'd be putting Marcus Smart in the starting lineup. I'd be playing Marcus Smart 35 minutes a fucking game moving forward. Okay, Marcus Smart actually won you a playoff game last year. I know Jarebko kind of helped too, but Smart, remember that game at the Garden against the Hawks? I mean, he lit it up. So, I'm a big Marcus Smart fan and supporter, you know that? Um, I'm not knocking him when I knock the second unit. I'm knocking guys like Olenek, who I cannot watch play defense. It's embarrassing. It's just, it's brutal to watch. And even at times when he's got the ball. It's like, what are you doing? And then Rosier and Jarebko, sometimes I don't even know what they're doing out there. I don't think they know what they're doing out there. So there are some issues here with the second unit. The Celtics need a fix. And every time I see that, I just think to myself, huh, you, you could have added something at the trade deadline and you didn't. And that's probably going to come back to bite you at some point in the postseason. Can, it, can they get to the Easter Conference Finals? Look, I, I think I'll give them a shot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, like I told you, my expectations for the Celtics are that they should get to the East Finals, given how they've played all season long. 
given the fact that they're a 51-team at the top of the conference, you don't have to play Cleveland until the East Finals. Hey, you should be able to beat everybody else. Will they? That's a different story. They should be able to, but we'll see if they can actually get the job done. So uh, it is an exciting time of year, that's it. Bruins, Celtics in the playoffs. And uh, I'll be reacting to it all right here on this show. But also what we got going on right now is Major League Baseball. And so I this is my time where I remind you, I know I told you at the beginning of the show that you can use my promo code at DraftKings.com, which is PIC, P-I-C, to play these golf tournaments for free on DraftKings. But uh, it's for more than that. It's for any sport on the DraftKings app, which means that if you're a baseball fan, or I should say a fantasy baseball fan, then you'll love Major League Baseball on DraftKings. You'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Two pitches, three outfielders, every position, every day is a brand new season. Major League Baseball and DraftKings is great. Um, so if you don't want to do the golf and you're upset that football's over with DraftKings, Major League Baseball, put in a lineup right now and do it for free using my promo code PIC, that's P-I-C, right now at DraftKings.com. Uh, back here locally with the Red Sox, the Red Sox had yesterday's game, Thursday's game against the Pirates postponed. It was the season finale. Red Sox looking for the three-game sweep. They're going to make it up next week, next Thursday. The Red Sox now go to Detroit, where they begin this four-game series today, this afternoon in Detroit. Four straight afternoon games in Detroit. Um, the the rainout yesterday actually worked in the Red Sox' favor because now they can go back to Porcello and Sale back-to-back in their rotation instead of having to go Porcello-Pomeranz on Sunday, Sale on Monday. They're going to go Porcello on an extra day Sunday, uh, sale on Monday. That's the way the Red Sox rotation is going to look. So I like keeping those two back-to-back. Here's the Red Sox rotation. Steven Wright this afternoon against Michael Fulmer. Eduardo Rodriguez gets his season debut on Saturday. Tomorrow against Jordan Zimmerman. Rick Porcello, like I said, is going to go Sunday against lefty Daniel Norris. And then Chris Sale on Monday afternoon against Justin Verlander. So I like keeping Porcello Sale back-to-back there. And then Pomeranz will get his. He's been pushed back from Sunday to Tuesday now. He'll make his season debut Tuesday night at home against the Baltimore Orioles. It'll be good to get another night game going after four straight afternoon games. But the Red Sox, 2-0 to begin the season. Chris Sale the other night, as advertised, just an absolute stud. You know, he's got that slider, which I've told you for years is the nastiest slider in all of baseball. Him and Andrew Miller have the nastiest sliders in all of baseball. I've been telling you that for years. Uh, You saw it on full display the other night at Fenway. Chris Sale was nasty in seven innings with seven strikeouts against the Pirates. Lefties hate him. Righties hate him. Everybody hates facing him. So he really is your number one. And that's not to take anything away from Porcello. Porcello, the reigning, defending Cy Young winner. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But... Chris Sale deserves a lot of praise at the highest level because he is that good and that dominant. He's a power pitcher in the mid to upper 90s. You know, 95, 96, he's going to give you that fastball. He's got a nice change at 89, down and away to righties. And he's got that slider, which, again, to lefties is impossible to hit. And to righties, it's down at your your shoelaces. It just, you know, that thing is like a wiffle ball. He's out there looking like a wiffle ball pitcher. And that is nasty stuff. And you saw it the other night. 
And uh, the Red Sox got the walk-off that night with the Sandy Leone walk-off home run. But the Red Sox right now, they have been in this series against Detroit dealing with the flu. The, the lineup today on this Friday afternoon is they got no Mookie Betts. He's got the flu. Hanley Ramirez, he's out as well. I believe he's sick. Um, now, Xander Bogots has been put on the, bereave, the three-day bereavement list. So they're going to have no Bogots today, no Hanley Ramirez, no Mookie Betts. Brock Holt is leading off as the Red Sox DH today. <laughs> That's the way the Red Sox lineup looks because of the flu. The flu has hit the Red Sox hard. So we'll keep an eye on that stuff. But uh, they begin this series in Detroit. It's a big series. Every game in this four-game series is an afternoon game. I'll be breaking it down this weekend on WEI, and I'll be back here on Monday inside the Beantown Athletic Studio reacting to everything that happened in Major League Baseball, and more specifically with the Red Sox over the weekend. So um, that's that's where my head's at with the Red Sox. I mean, look, it's early. It's a long season. At some point, they're really going to feel the effects of not having David Ortiz, but I love what I saw out of Chris Sale the other night, and I told you to begin the season. When I made my Major League Baseball predictions on Monday's podcast, Go back and listen to that. I also gave my WrestleMania reaction. Um, You know, Chris Sale's presence is really the ultimate reason why I'm sticking with the Red Sox being the division winner in the AL East, even without Ortiz, even without David Price to begin the season, even with some of the other injuries like to relieve Tyler Thornburg and some other guys and the flu that's hitting this team right now. With some things that are not going their way right now with the Red Sox to begin the year, Chris Sale's presence is the ultimate reason why I have the Red Sox still in the division. So, um, yeah, it's great to see. And I'll be obviously reacting as the season goes on. There was a baseball story last night outside of the Red Sox that, you know, is captivating in the sense where Tim Tebow, if he does anything positive in the minor leagues this season it's going to be talked about and it's going to be probably made out to be a bigger story than it should be for for an average minor league Tim Tebow's not an average minor league as much as I hate the Tim Tebow baseball story I wish it wouldn't be a thing um I wish Tim Tebow would just go away I wish he would just maybe be a football analyst and that's it and this is somebody that actually defended and supported Tebow during his NFL career with the Broncos you know, when he wins that playoff game against Pittsburgh, throwing for 300 yards, throwing the game-winning touchdown to Demarius Thomas in overtime, right? I mean, I actually defended Tebow to the point where I said, I think he deserves a legitimate shot in the NFL after Denver to be, to be a starting quarterback. I thought he deserved that. So I've been a Tim Tebow supporter when it comes to his football career. That said, he's now begun a baseball career. I'm, I'm done with the Tim Tebow thing. I defended him with football, but baseball, eh, I just kind of want him to go away. Now, that's not going to happen after what we saw last night. Tim Tebow, his first minor league at bat. Now, I know he did some some fall league stuff last year. Does that really count? I'm talking about minor league baseball. His minor league debut, first game, first at bat last night. He hits a home run to the opposite field. And I tweeted out a video uh, or a link. You know, they put these, uh, the Titanic song, you know, that Titanic song. They put 
that song to all these videos, these sports videos, and they make it a little bit more dramatic. It's hilarious. I posted it on my, my Twitter account. But the best part about the video with that song is the fans behind home plate and down near the third baseline. They're going fucking nuts. Like, they are losing their minds. Tim Tebow, first at bat, hits a home home run, goes opposite field. He's a left-handed hitter, goes the other way. Um, it's, it's a crazy story. I mean, it's only a matter of time. He keeps doing stuff like that. It's only a matter of time till he actually gets promoted. If for nothing else, just the mere fact that they can uh, promote his name in their organization and sell some more T-shirts and get some more butts in the seats. I mean, I, I won't lie. As much as I want the Tim Tebow stuff to go away, that was a pretty cool moment for the kid last night. I can only imagine. But the funniest part about the whole thing is the way the fans react to it on that video that I retweeted. Again, at Danny Picard, follow me right now. But, um, yeah, that that's that's some baseball news for you. Hey, I'd like it to go away, but as long as he keeps doing that, we'll keep talking about it. We will keep talking about it. And uh, what else do we have? Football. The football news since I last talked to you, since I talked to you on Monday. Tony Romo is retiring and going to CBS, and he's going to take over for Phil Sims. You know, now you got the whole, well, Jim Nance versus Phil Sims. Did Jim Nance not just sign off on this? Did he also try to call for it and try to get rid of Phil Sims? You want my honest opinion? I, you know, I honestly could give a fuck less. Like, I honestly think sometimes there are so many media members that love themselves so much. They they think that other people care about media versus media controversies. Like, maybe some people do. I don't. I, I could care less. If Jim Nance hates Phil Simms or if Phil Simms hates Jim Nance or if they would, you know, I, I if they hate each other's guts... It doesn't bother me. It's it's not a it's not a factor in my life. I could care less. I'm getting into the Tony Romo side of it because Romo was somebody that, you know, we were talking about could be a possibility for the Houston Texans, could be a possibility for the Denver Broncos, could be a couple teams that would want Tony Romo's services. And I'm not a Tony Romo guy, but let's be honest. When you look around the league, it's a quarterback league, and there are a lot of teams that are desperate for a quarterback that will give them a chance to win 10, 11, maybe 12 games, especially if it's a team in a shitty division or if it's a team like, let's say, Denver Broncos that have a defense that just won them a Super Bowl not too long ago. Right? Give me a quarterback to that team, and let's see what they do. A quarterback who's better than Trevor Simeon. A quarterback who is better than Osweiler. You know, who obviously stepped in before they handed it back off to Peyton Manning and they won a Super Bowl. They want a Super Bowl with defense. They have a championship caliber defense, but they need some type of quarterback. I just thought Romo would be a nice fit there. But um, he's going to take the CBS gig. However, there's an interesting little nugget here with the Tony Romo to CBS stuff that I could not just overlook. And it's not the Jim Nance-Phil Sims relationship. Again, I could give a fuck less about that. Here's what I care about. I care about... Whether or not Romo's ever going to play in the NFL again. Because you would think if he's going to CBS, it's like, all right, he's retired. That's it. He's done playing football. He does a conference call. And when he gives his conference call, when he uses the phrase 99% done with football, well, it just, it makes me think that if there's a 1% chance 
That means in his head, there's something that would make him get out of the booth and get back on the field. Now, what is that something? Let me, re- let me read you the quotes from Tony Romo in this conference call the other day. Here's what he says. He says, quote, I wish I could tell you unequivocally 100% for the rest of my life I'll never play any sports at all. I don't envision coming back. But I've also seen enough things from Nick Saban's I'm not going to Alabama to Brett Favre's I'm done playing football that happen in life. Romo continued, do I envision coming back and playing football? Absolutely not. I'm committed to CBS. I'm going to be there. But I'm sure I'll get a call. There's not enough quarterbacks that can win 12 games in the NFL anyway. I do feel like for me, the reality is a lot can happen. Right now, I'm telling you that I don't think it would be that hard of a decision. Romo continues, I'm going to get in the booth. I'm going to like it. It'll be a challenge, but I'm excited. And I don't envision that really being something I'd have to think long and hard about. I'm just telling you, it's about 99%. And if for some crazy reason, they decided to fire me in week 12 at CBS, I guess I'd have to think about playing in a small golf tournament or flag football. End quote. So Romo does a couple things here. And you ask, well, what would be that 1% that would make him get back into football? He points out one thing it could be is maybe he's no good at CBS and maybe they fire him. Well, you know, I know, and let's be honest, Tony Romo knows that's not going to happen. All right. They're not dragging him out of football to, to replace him with Phil Simms to say, hey, here's 12 games. You're not good enough. You're done. That's not going to happen. They are at least giving this guy a couple seasons or at least open to giving him a couple seasons. And you know what? If it doesn't work out with Nance, they'll put him with someone else, but they'll keep him at CBS. That's the way it's going to work. CBS knows they're not getting rid of him right away. Romo knows CBS is not getting rid of him right away. You know they're not getting rid of him, and I know they're not getting rid of him. So while he brings that up, that's not the real reason he's left this 1% open to return into the game at some point. Here's what he's left open. The fact that he goes on in this conference call to point out that he's going to get a call. He's sure. Let me read this part to you. He goes, quote, I'm sure I'll get a call. There's not enough quarterbacks that can win 12 games in the NFL anyway. I do feel like for me, the reality is a lot can happen. End quote. Well, if you want me to finish up this quote, he says, right now, I'm telling you that I don't think it would be that hard of a decision. End quote which means he's saying that, hey, if it came to him, he would say it's not hard, uh, not a hard decision. He'd be, st- he'd be sticking with CBS and doing this. Well, when he comes out and points out that he knows he's getting a call, he knows a lot can happen, he knows never say never, and he points out that there's not enough quarterbacks in the NFL that can win 12 games. He knows that. So in his head, Here's my theory on the Romo thing and saying there's 99% chance and leaving a small window, as small as he might be, leaving a small window open that he could return to the NFL. Tony Romo, right, is looking at this going, he has one specific team. There's one team on his mind. I'm telling you right now, there's one team on his mind. And in fact, when he tells the Cowboys he's retiring, he's going to CBS, I'm not telling you this conspiracy theory that he, that he used, that, I'm not telling you Romo's using this to go to that place that, that he has in his mind. What I'm telling you is, I think that Romo probably told Dallas he wanted to go to spot X 
And the Cowboys said, yeah, but we're getting a better offer from Team Y. We're not really getting much from them. And Romo's like, well, that's where I want to go. And they said, yeah, we're, just, we're not going to do that. They don't, they don't want to give up anything to get you. But Romo really wants to go to that place. Well, Romo says to himself, all right, that's not going to happen. I don't want to go to the team that you want to trade me to. There's only one place I want to go. And if, they, if we can't make that happen, there's this opportunity for me to, to do CBS. I'll take it. He takes the CBS thing, you know, asks for his release. Gets the retirement stuff going on. Does the conference calls saying never say never. He goes on to point out that, hey, I will get a call. There's not enough quarterbacks that can win 12 games in the NFL right now. He leaves the window open as small as it might be to return to the NFL because he has one team in mind. Again, this is my theory. But based on how I, you know, I, I like to break things down like this. I, 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 th- I don't think he's using CBS as a way to get to this team. I think, though, that he's saying to himself, you know what? If this team did call me and they said, we'll give you this much money to be our starting quarterback, it's a perfect situation, I'm going. I don't know what that is. I mean, look, his family's in Texas. They play for Dallas. Does he want to go to Houston? But are the Houston Texans saying, you know what, we, don't, we can't give up what he's asking for because we don't even know what he's going to be. We don't know if he's going to stay healthy. And maybe Houston likes the kid Savage that they ended up going to at the end of last year. Uh, you know what I mean? Maybe they like him a lot. To the point where they're saying, eh, we can't give up. We can't give you what you want. But if something happens and they change their mind, maybe that's the spot Romo wants to go to. Or maybe Romo wants to go to Denver. And Denver's sitting there going, eh, you know what? We're committed to Simeon for now. But Romo knows. I'm telling you right now. There's one team. That's it. There's one team that Romo wants to go to that I do think, when he says the 1%, I think there's one team. That if they called him today, there would be another conference call. And that conference call would be that Jim Nance is going to have to mend the fences with Phil Sims Because Romo's going back to the NFL. I'm telling you right now, I think that's what's going through Romo's mind. That's why he leaves the door open. He's got one team on his mind that if they do come calling... He's not going to CBS, or at least, oh, he'll leave CBS. I'm telling you right now, that's what he's thinking. That's why he leaves it open. But he doesn't know if that's going to happen. So for right now, he's committed to CBS, for right now. Um, I would not put my money on him staying there. Now, I don't know who this team is that I tell you. Could be Denver, could be Houston. Maybe it's another team. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's some phantom team that we're not even thinking of. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's San Francisco. No idea. Couldn't tell you. Um, but there was there is one team that Romo was looking at. And uh keep an eye on it. But I'm telling I-, I wouldn't put my money on him absolutely staying at CBS. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. But that's the NFL news that you have. Um here locally at the Patriots, we're waiting on the Malcolm Butler thing. There are Richard Sherman rumors all over the place that the Patriots are interested, or are they not interested? Uh, are the Seahawks even going to trade Richard Sherman? What's the deal with that? Look, if Richard Sherman's available, you you obviously are interested. Who wouldn't be? Kick the tires on it. Depends on what you got to give up. Depends on what you have to give up. Depends on what happens with Malcolm Butler. Um, if you can get Malcolm Butler to play for 3.91 mil, then he plays for 3.91 mil, and you're set, okay? But if something happens, 
team gives them an office sheet. They want New Orleans wants to give the, what is it, number 12 overall pick, 11 or 12 to you. Then it's number 11, right? Yeah, number 11 overall. They want to give you 11 overall. Take Butler then. All right, you get 11 overall. Know what you do then? Kick the tires on a trade for, C- for Richard Sherman with Seattle. Um, I, I still think that the door's open for a Garoppolo trade before draft night. But, um, you know, Sherman, to me, seems like more of a backup plan. I think the priority should be, hey, get Malcolm Butler to sign the first-round restricted free agent tender of 3.91 mil, and that's an absolute steal. That's an absolute discount for the Patriots to get that player to play at that price, along with having acquired Stefan Gilmore. I, I just think the Patriots are in a great opportunity when it comes to value and what they could get Butler to play for them. What, Richard Sherman? He's got 2017 and 2018, two years left in his contract, and I believe about 11 mil per. You know, if you can get Malcolm Butler to play for 3.91 mil, you know, that that's a much better value. It is. It's a much better value. And that's actually what I'm rooting for the Patriots to have. Malcolm Butler over Richard Sherman. There's no knock on Richard Sherman. I just think if that that's a great backup plan, if that's what it comes to. But I'd rather stick with my number one plan, which would be Malcolm Butler. If anything happens, though, in the NFL offseason, I'll certainly react to it all. Um, I'm here every Monday and Thursday. I know today's a Friday. Special situation because they had some scheduling stuff going on that changed on me yesterday, so we had to postpone the podcast to Friday afternoon. I'll be on WEI, what, tomorrow and Sunday, Red Sox review, uh, and then back here inside the Beantown Athletic Studio on Monday. I think I'm on WEI again on Monday night, I believe. So, you're going to be hearing a lot from me the next couple days over the weekend and early into next week. I'll react to the Masters on Monday and how that plays out. Also, uh, WWE SmackDown is in town next week and working on a couple things, all right? All I can tell you is that I'm working on it. That's all I can say. If it doesn't go through, then it doesn't go through. But there are some positive signs here that I've received that the things I'm trying to do, or at least one of the things I'm trying to do, is going to happen. I'm not going to say it because, you know, then I'd be making you false promises if it doesn't end up happening. But I'm trying. We're trying to get something done. Uh, WWE in town in Boston next week, Tuesday, SmackDown. If you are interested in some of my wrestling talk, I know I've been doing a lot more of it lately, but I, I just feel like I've been around WrestleMania time. I do get wrapped up into it because I get that nostalgic feeling where I think about, you know, the old school wrestling. I was a big old school wrestling fan, but you know, they're going to come to town right away, right after WrestleMania. So I'm still sort of itching for it. And it would be cool to get a couple of big name guests from the WWE on this show. And that's something that I'm working for. And we are working for next week. I'll let you know, though. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page. All forms of social media. You can get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also now available on the Podcast One Network. Also on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are available. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm out. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.